If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 474. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B R I O N. McClanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you the free ebook, the free audiobook. Go ahead and subscribe to McClanahan Academy, free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do so, you also get great deals on new and forthcoming courses. I've got my newest course out, Originalist Papers. Also go to Learn True, T R U E, LearnTrueHistory.com. That's my affiliate link for Tom Wizard Classroom. I teach there with Tom and a lot of great, great instructors. Uh, don't forget to click on that shop tab, the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Do all you can to get people thinking locally and acting locally. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the pod- podcasts going. You can uh, share this podcast around on social media, rate it where you get your podcasts, let people know you're doing what you're doing, get people involved. Now, this is the last show of the week. I appreciate you being with me. It's July 8th. And uh, I want to talk about a topic today that I think is going to be controversial in some ways, but you got to hear me out on this. And it has to do, and I mentioned it on Monday when I started talking about setting everything up for the week. Nicole Hannah-Jones, the woman who wrote or who produced the intellectual originator, I should say, of the 1619 Project. And so uh, we have Nicole Hannah-Jones going for tenure at the University of North Carolina. Now, she was up for tenure in the journalism department at the University of North Carolina. And there was a lot of opposition to this. In fact, when she, just to give you some background, I'm going to talk about American journalism in a second and what this means. But Nicole Hannah-Jones was given that job on a five-year, non-tenure track contract. Now, what that means is she wasn't up for tenure. She never was going to be up for tenure. She had a five-year contract, terminal contract, essentially, at the journalism school. So she knew from the beginning that she was not in a tenure-track position. Okay. Now, it didn't mean that that job is not normally given in a tenure-track position. It is. But in this particular case, she signs a five-year con- non-tenure-track contract. Okay, so if you don't know how this works, when you go and you get an academic job, they tell you this is a tenure-track position or a non-tenure-track position. Tenure is something that was created during the 19, well, 1900s, essentially, but became more prominent as we got to the middle of the 20th century and on because you had a bunch of leftists who were trying to get in university positions, and they were afraid they would lose their job for saying things that were not Uh, of the mainstream variety. They were controversial. They could be Marxist, for example, and they wanted to ensure that they kept their job. So tenure was a way for protection for uh, academic freedom. This is what it all boils down to. The ability to say in the classroom what you want to say without reprisal from 
the institution itself, even if students complain about what you say, the idea was that you could say controversial things in the academic environment and not get fired for it. Now think about what that actually means for modern society. Nicole Hannah-Jones is not saying anything controversial. She's saying what the establishment academic left believes. But who does say things that are controversial? Conservatives. Yet conservatives are consistently denied positions and tenure. So what we have now is a double standard. Now I'll get into that in a minute. So tenure was designed to protect people, professors, faculty members, in the classroom and in their publications and other things from saying things that might be controversial and might get them in trouble but yet they couldn't lose their job for it. In fact, it was almost demanded of them that they create controversy. You see, because controversy had people talking about the institution, it had people wanting to go there, it generated revenue. Now, at times, it could even generate alumni getting on board and saying, we're going to donate to this because we like this, or whatever the case may be. It was a revenue generator to have people in there. And and conservatives, when this started going on, particularly in the 60s, my... Uh, my grandfather taught in, in colleges in the 60s in California, and they were perfectly fine with hiring leftists and giving them tenure because they thought it was the right thing to do because if the shoe was on the other foot, they would want the same protection. What they didn't realize at that time is that if the shoe was on the other foot, they wouldn't even be on, they wouldn't even be on the foot because the left, once they got into positions of power, were going to continually use it to block the right from gaining access to teaching at institutions of higher education in America. This is what 100% unquestionably happening today. Now, some lefties will, oh, no, 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 that's not true. That's not true. And, and the other thing is, these people on the right, they're just too stupid to get these jobs. They don't, they don't publish anything good. So this is the issue, right? But the whole idea of the university is to say things that are controversial so students will be introduced to these ideas, they'll be introduced to things that challenge their worldview, and then this is the truly liberal, quote-unquote, a truly liberal position to take. You're introduced to ideas, those ideas might be shocking, those ideas might be controversial, but you use it because you have to understand who you are and where we are and what your positions are, your principles. This is why you do these things. So Nicole Hannah-Jones the intellectual designer of the 1619 Project was given this non-tenure track position, and then she was she she wanted tenure. She I want tenure. They said no. So she threatened to sue. So what happens? Well, the Board of Trustees for the University of North Carolina meet on June 30th, and in a nine to four vote, give her tenure anyways, even though. Two things, she wasn't qualified, and she signed a non-tenure track contract. Now, the School of Journalism at University of North Carolina, the man that gave all the money for it, didn't want her to get tenure either. He, he said he didn't, he didn't think that she represented the true nature of American journalism. Now, if you look at the meeting that took place, you've got activists holding signs, I mean, bullying these people into submission, essentially, to give Nicole Hannah-Jones tenure. She didn't deserve it, at least if you look at traditionally why tenure was given. She didn't deserve it. She didn't deserve to get tenure. She signed a contract that was non-tenure track, et cetera, et cetera. She didn't deserve it. 
but she got it anyways. Now, my position is on this, uh, when I say she didn't deserve it with her credentials, she didn't deserve it. However, if you look at what she was looking at, which is a school of journalism, she certainly deserved it. In fact, the university system deserves Nicole Hannah-Jones, and it deserves someone like her in that position because the university system is a farce. The entire thing is a farce. And American journalism, this idea of objectivity in American journalism, that is a lie. It's never been there. So I'm actually going to talk about the rise of journalism. And I've, and I've done this before on a podcast. Uh, we want a free press, not a fair press, because the press has never been fair. And in fact, to Nicole Hannah-Jones' defense, she's admitted now, as they've, I mean, look, they've, they've manipulated the website, they've changed things. Phil Magnus has pointed all this out over and over again. The 1619 Project is historically bad. I mean, it is awful. The information is bad. Uh, the history is bad. Much of it is just rotten. It, 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 it doesn't pass any muster, right? And so you do have some historians like Kevin Cruz out there trying to defend this stuff because, of course, Kevin Cruz is going to do that. He's a Princeton prof um, who writes uh, things that are far left, and he's going, to, he's going to support the 1619 Project. Far lefty professors are going to do that, right? So we've got, we've got this historically bad series of essays. Now, I've written on the 1619 Project at Chronicles. The neoconservatives don't like what I have to say because essentially I said, look, you're arguing the same position in the 1776 Commission Report as the 1619 Project which is both historically rotten. I mean, they're not based on reality. But regardless, Nicole Hannah-Jones herself has said that she doesn't look at the project as history. She looks at it as journalism. It's journalism. In essence, the 1619 Project is one long op-ed. It's an opinion piece with some history thrown in to make it seem legitimate, but it's an opinion piece. It is her opinion on what America is and what it was founded on. It's her opinion. A faulty one, but certainly her opinion. That's what journalism has almost always been. In fact, the root of journalism to journal, to chronicle, is going to necessarily involve subjectivity. It has to. You and I can go out and look at the same event. And if you're listening to the show, we could both write about it. And I guarantee you, we would have differences in what we're looking at. It doesn't matter. We're journaling. We're chronicling what's happening there. And journalists have always thrown in their two cents because they are people and they know they have an audience. And at the core of all of this, and anybody that does this, whether you speak on a podcast, you write stuff, there is, a bu- there is hubris in this. You want people to listen to what you have to say because you want them to think like you. I mean, it's, it's true for all of us, right? Any influencer, any journalist, any podcaster, any YouTube star, any historian, any of it, we're chronicling what we see, any public figure, and then you, you put your opinion out there. People can believe it or not, and people, of course, do believe some of it, and people will real contradict what you say. People will get very angry about what you say. They'll love what you say. This comes with being a public figure. In any, small or large, it's what comes with it. When you're a journalist and you write for the 1619 Project, you are expecting, I think, I don't know if she expected to take the kind of heat that she took, 
because I think she was anticipating that the left would circle the wagons and they would agree with her 100%. Based on what the, and, and we talked about this early in the week, the multicultural nationalists, because that's what she thought she was dealing with primarily out of the left. She didn't get that. And some socialists and others took issue with it. Now, some of the things she said about Lincoln, I agree with. Some of the things, I mean, look, the whole idea that the founding, that, that uh, Americans wanted to protect slavery, this is what the British said. I'm not saying they're right, but there is evidence for some of these things that are there. The neocons can't stand it when you do this. But, I mean, there's evidence for some of these things. And I could say, yeah, I mean, some of this stuff, sure, we could talk about these things, whether they're right or wrong. But again, at the end of the day, this was a long opinion piece. If you read the essay she wrote, it reads like an op-ed. There's nothing to it but opinion. It's her opinion and her observations. She's chronicling her observations on what America was and what America is today. So when you look at giving someone a tenure-track position or a tenured position at a journalism school, she is doing exactly what journalism has done for the last nearly 300 years. In fact, you start seeing the rise of modern journalism really in, in Britain uh, after the English Bill of Rights of 1688. Because by that point, once you get that and you start talking about a free press or free speech or some of these things that we, these ideas we get to, well, you have to be able to resist the power of the king to do that. You didn't see free journalism in France, for example, not until you got to the 1780s. But you had it earlier in the British North American colonies. You had it earlier in London. You had the ability for the English-speaking peoples of the world to resist centralized power. And essentially, that's what journalism has almost always been about. It's been about speaking truth to power. You see this in journalism. We're going to speak truth to power. Journalism today is not that. Journalism is speaking, is speaking propaganda to power to help, to help keep those in power in power. This is what it means. Those on the left, it's a way to keep them in power and to control others because journalism has become that way. I mean, this is what journalism does today. So as you start seeing journalism, the rise of journalism, you start getting partisan presses. You'll have those that are for the king, those that are against the king. Uh, you'll have those that are for the Tories or the Whigs. Uh, in America, you have those that are for the Republicans, the Democrats, the Whigs. When I say re the Democratic Republicans, this is the old Democrats. So the Republicans there, the old Republicans. And you've got the modern Republican Party. You've got the modern Democrat Party. You've got the Socialists. You've got the Free Soilers. You've got, you've got every single faction you can think of. You've got black American press. Uh, you have Asian American presses. You've got every single faction you can think of promoting a newspaper or some type of press. And now we just spread that out into mainstream modern media, whether it's podcasting or videos or, uh, I mean, blogs, whatever it is, it's the press. And so the press has always been partisan. It's never been fair. It's always been free. And it's always been based at some level on opinion. In fact, it used to be in America that newspapers were owned by partisans, and everyone knew it. This is the official organ of the Whig Party. This is the official organ of the National Republicans. This is the official organ of the Jeffersonians. This is the official organ of the Republican Party, the GOP, or the Democrat Party. We knew it. We knew what these papers were. 
It wasn't until you really get to the 20th century that you start seeing this idea that somehow the press has to be objective and uh, go out and just tell the, uh, we had a press conference today and we wrote these questions down. This is what the president said without offering opinion. But you see, what is the most read part of a newspaper? It's not the news. It's generally the opinion section because this is what newspapers thrive on. It's what makes them provocative I mean, breaking a story is a big deal if it's a huge story, right? You, you've got this thing, you find this major thing in government or business or whatever it is, and you've got a huge story and people want to read about it, or if there's some traumatic event and people want to do that, they'll buy newspapers to get that or they'll read online websites about that. I mean, a current one is the uh, terrible hotel collapse there in Miami. But what's happened with that? Look at what the press did with it. Almost immediately, it was global warming that caused it. This is what the leftists were starting to talk about. Or is Ron DeSantis' fault in Florida? If you're the left, if you're the right, it's something else. You know, it was just an event that happened. I mean, bad building codes, you know, whatever it was. I mean, but the left immediately blamed people on the right, and that became part of the narrative. This is what the press does. It's what the press always does. So Nicole Hannah-Jones is no different. In fact, you could say that she is 100% representative of what the modern press is. Partisan hacks. That's what Nicole Hannah-Jones is. She's a partisan hack. Nothing more, nothing less. And when, she, when, when people like Phil Magnus call her out for this stuff and they change things, she won't even acknowledge these things. She's a hack. And a bad one at that. And a, I mean, a bad journalist. But in some ways, a good journalist because this is what she does. She writes journalism. It's not history. It's journalism. She's even said, I don't write history, I write journalism. She writes op-eds. Okay, so give her a job and give her tenure at a journalism school. Now, what does this mean on the other side when I say there's some things, some things we need to think about this stuff? Number one, this the university system deserves Nicole Hannah-Jones. Thinking that somehow the universities are going to do anything but accept mainstream nonsense is ridiculous. And in fact, what people should be doing is looking at this as an example of why they need to start trying to come up with other ways to educate their children. It doesn't mean you don't send your kids to university. They need the piece of paper. I mean, in many cases, you're going to need a piece of paper, so your kids have to go get the credentials. I remember I asked a pretty prominent uh, voice one time— where, I mean, do you have an advanced degree? And he responded to me, no. And his simple response was, I needed the credentials, so I got the paper. That's it. Otherwise, it, I mean, you don't need a piece of paper to make a lot of money. You can go into all kinds of things to make money. But if you want people to listen to you, you need credentials. So credentialing is important. This is what the universities uh, do. And I, and I try to tell people when they ask me, should I go get a PhD in this? I say no all the time. Because unless, go get a real job first, go work in something where you're going to make some money. I mean, get out there and make some money. And then if you want the credential, go back and get the PhD when you have the freedom to do whatever you want. Then go get the PhD and just use it to hammer people. I have a PhD thingy too, right? So go get the job. I mean, give the, give the, the left is going to control the universities. There's almost no turning this around unless... Unless you look at this in another way, which we'll talk about in a minute. But the universities deserve Nicole Hannah-Jones, and Americans, this is a wake-up call. The universities don't represent you anymore. 
So come up with alternative ways to educate yourself. McClanahan Academy, uh, Tom Woods Liberty Classroom, Learn True History, uh, Mises University, Abbeville University, whatever it is, look at other ways to educate yourself and ignore what these people say most of the time because we know it's hogwash. Start thinking about other ways to get your kids alternate educational. I mean, if they go to public school, if they go to private school, give them other stuff because that other stuff can turn some of these things around. The institutions are dead. I have a friend of mine that says that universities need napalm and a lot of it. They just need to be burned to the ground because they're so bad. Well, we're not going to change it from the inside out. And resisting Nicole Hannah-Jones and, oh my gosh, this is going to ruin the university. It's already ruined. It's already done. To say that this ruined the University of North Carolina, University of North Carolina has been ruined for a long time. This is just part and parcel of it. So they deserve her. She deserves it. And we deserve to say, fine, if we have to send our kids somewhere, don't send your kids to UNC. Send them somewhere else. Try to pick and choose where you send your kids and understand that's only a piece of paper. And that people need to go out and look for ways to make money and create alternate alternate institutions, parallel institutions, other things that we can do to try to ensure that these places lose money and they lose prestige and honor. I mean, the best thing that could happen is UNC, people say, well, I'm not sending my kids there anymore. And UNC puts tenure and they go away. They lose money. That's the best thing that could happen. Uh, because people just say, enough, I'm not doing this. It delegitimizes the institution. It shows what they really are, just a bunch of partisan hacks. It shows what the institution is all about. Now, on the other hand, where this could help work for conservatives, and I don't know, I mean, this gets back to uh, this idea of political speech. We talked about this on Monday, protecting political speech, which is now the new secular religion in America. So how this could work. Nicole Hannah-Jones threatening to sue that she didn't get tenure on a non-tenure track contract is a blueprint now. If you're a conservative and you didn't get hired at university, didn't get an interview, or maybe you're in a job and you're trying to get tenure and you can't get it, threaten to sue because of discrimination. You're being discriminated against because you're a conservative. Now, essentially what Nicole Hannah-Jones is saying is that it was race, but no, it was about credentials. But because of her controversial statements, she believed, and because of her race, she wasn't getting tenure. So you know what? Threaten to sue on those things. Well, because I'm saying things that are controversial, I should be able to... This is what tenure is for. Sue them. Threaten to sue them and put the pressure on. And then get your tenure. Because what can happen then? If that happens, and enough conservatives say, you know what, I'm going to go in and I'm going to apply for this job, and I, don't, I didn't get an interview. Well, I'm going to sue them. Send them a strongly worded letter. We need, if you can get lawyers involved in this, that you're going to threaten to sue unless you're given an interview. And then if you don't get at least in the top three, you're going to sue again because you're being discriminated against because you're a conservative, particularly if you can point out people that are in the interview process are not conservatives. Well, these people don't think like me, and I'm just as qualified as everybody else, so why am I not getting an interview? You see, this can all backfire on these people. Do it. And this is where I'm saying this is a blessing in disguise because she used the tenure process and the way it was actually supposed to be used to protect her freedom of speech and the ability to say things, free academic freedom to say things that are controversial. We know the left doesn't think this way. We know the left wants to crush anything. I mean, they are, they are the most illiberal people 
out there. They, they don't believe in real liberalism. They believe in one size, one voice, that's it. They believe in the establishment narrative. And it, I mean, these are all groupthink people. They are. They're all groupthink people. And whatever the modern groupthink is, that's what I'm going to do. And that's what I'm going to write about. They chase money. They chase grants. They, tra- they chase these things. So whatever's trendy and fashionable, that's what I'm going to write about. Because that's what groupthink is. And I'm going to be friends. And we're going to slap. We're going to do the wine tasting. And we're going to go to the cocktail parties and slap backs and have fun. You see, they'll just want to get along. The people that rock the boat don't usually fit. And if you're a conservative or a libertarian or someone like that in the modern academy, you don't fit. You're a square peg in a round hole. And it's it's not in the nature of conservatives or libertarians to use the legal system to their advantage. Now, you might lose. I'm not saying this would work because, remember, political speech is not a protected class. But you can make a case that it should be. Because this is all about freedom of ideas. And if you're going into an institution that has freedom of ideas, well, then you every institution in America, every history department in America should have at least two or three conservatives in the department. Because if we're about talking about opinions and viewpoints and everything else and giving people a real education, that's what they should have. And I'm not talking about Alan Gelzo kind of conservatives. I'm talking about real conservatives. Every University in America should have two or three conservatives, minimum, in a history department, in a political science department. They should. And there should be, there should be almost a, I mean, a quota system set up for this, right? Because where, what is the voice of America that's being throttled down the most in these institutions? Well, it's conservatism. I read the Michael, the, I'm sorry, the Christian Parenti book, uh, parts of it. Yesterday, in yesterday's podcast on Hamilton, Christian Parenti spouts off modern groupthink on things like the environment and social order and all this kind of stuff. So where are the people standing up for Nathaniel Macon? Where are the people saying, wait a second here, this idea of Macon uh, only being pro-slavery that was driving everything, that's completely incorrect because of this, 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 and this. It's just said, oh yeah, and the and the Claremont people are guilty of this stuff too. They're guilty of a swap. So where are the real voices of American conservatism? Well, they're on the fringe because they're being blocked everywhere. So who has the real claim to needing tenure and a real claim to real diversity of thought in America? Well, it's the right. So with that, with that said, I mean, this is, in some ways, this could be an advantage if people would just capitalize on it and use it in their quest to get tenure and get jobs. If you want to go into that, if you want to go into those fields, and if you're a conservative or a libertarian, to do it, you threaten them. This is a lawsuit, man. You're not going to hire me. You're not even going to interview me. That's a lawsuit. If I'm qualified, I should get an interview by not interviewing me. It doesn't matter if we had 100 applicants. By not interviewing somebody, you're saying that you're, you're different. Why didn't you interview me? I'm qualified. So you're actually being picky. You're, you're picking and choosing. Well, you shouldn't really be able to do that. If someone's qualified, you interview them. This is the whole point. You see, Nicole Hannah-Jones wasn't even qualified, and yet she threatened a lawsuit, and she gets tenure by a 9-4 to four vote because of political pressure. Now, again, I think UNC deserves her. I think if you're looking at journalism, she is a journalist of the modern stripe, which is a propagandist. 
She is an op-ed writer. The 1619 Project is a series of op-eds. This is all it is. And it's garbage. But you know what? That's what modern journalism pretty much is. Garbage. So, it deserves her, right? The journalism school deserves her. She deserves tenure for writing garbage and promoting the modern interpretation of journalism. And that's it. And, of course, the method that she used should now be emulated by those on the right seeking positions and tenure because she established the blueprint. All right. I hope you enjoyed this week at the Brian McClanahan Show. If you want to catch me for a fifth time this week, head on over to abbevilleinstitute.org. Get my podcast there. Uh, you can do that. That's that's on all things Southern. I enjoyed seeing y'all for this week. Again, send me those show requests. Let me know what you want to hear. I'll see you next week on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then. <laughs>